little children downstairs uh, for, for their level of teaching. Well, uh, it is so good to see everyone here today. My, look around, we have a, a nice crowd for a very busy weekend. Uh, last, uh, last Sunday, we had 190 in church. I think that's pretty neat, don't you? And we had a good crowd uh, the first session at first. Started out kind of slow, and before long, of course, the back pews filled up. And we had a nice crowd. So uh, we have had an extremely busy week. And uh, Big Brian is back from Jamaica Mon, helping the orphanage there. And uh, we think we raised around $1,000 over the weekend for uh, the work to go back to Jamaica and the orphanage there. And uh, I think everyone's just a little bit tired. But that's what this world is all about, reaching out. And uh, also we had what we thought one of the busiest seasons we've ever had with the school. And I think one of the best. Kent Winchell, would you stand up for just a second? Uh, this is the chairman of the school board. And I just wanted to say publicly, we had a grand year. Thank you. And uh, would all the rest of the school board members stand up? Would you just mind, just quickly, if you served in capacity there? Well done, well done. We had a wonderful day. Thank you. Would you be seated? And uh, then I'm supposed to, uh, uh, Kevin, we're having uh, men's prayer breakfast next Saturday. We had 11 last week. And if we weren't a tremendous, dramatic success, do you realize, did, did you get in on that last week? when the men gave their little thing for the ladies or a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't that fabulous? What a bunch of men, you know? <laughs> I mean, that was something. <laughs> and so uh, there are a lot of things going on, and I, I just pray that you keep busy in the Lord. And that's a little bit of what the sermon is about today. Let's bow our heads, please. Oh, gracious Father, I pray for all the lovely ones who are out on the road, and I know that so many families are happy, and. I see the Faxons have something to be proud about today, and the Barretts have family with them to be proud of today. And I know that there are others, Father, that I may not have named, but I, I'm just thankful that we have our families and that we can get together with our loved ones. And I just pray you'll send them all back safely and be with those lovely ones who have left us, our boys and girls, out all over the face of the earth and for our missions, ventures. Thank you that Brian is back safe and sound. And I, I just pray for the Reach Out program this summer as they go to Jamaica and all the kids. May they have dreams to win the world, Father. I do thank you most of all for Jesus and for the gift of eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen. Now if you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. We're telling a story out of the life of the great warriors of God. Jesus, uh, boy, the hard saying is of Jesus are over, but there's some hard lessons to be learned here in the Old Testament. And I just pray that you take to heart the mission which is presented here. This is extremely pragmatic or practical. It's not a theologic sermon, but it is a practical one. David and Bathsheba. Now, uh, you all, you may not know much about David and Bathsheba. If you go to the movies, you certainly know. And uh, this is a story that if I were God, I would have left out of the Bible. Wouldn't you? It's got everything under the sun in it that kids uh, probably ought not to look up to. But kids, I want you to know, and adults, I want you to know, since you tend to get in more trouble than the kids do, that 
there's a lesson to be learned here and a very important one. Okay, Second Samuel chapter 11. And I'm just going to read fragments of it because you can't read the whole thing and get it done. But I will, I will have it done on time, I promise you. Now, there was a war on. And they just whooped the Ammonites. And they're going on to another city and they're surrounding it. There's going to be a fight. And there is a fight. It's kind of like Christianity today. A lot of folks don't realize there's a fight going on. You realize we're losing it. And we want to win it. And one way to win a fight is to get everybody behind the fight and get them to know that they're in a fight, and that they're being uh, assaulted by very formidable forces. Formidable indeed they are, and they are arrayed against us. There was a fight going on way off in another city, Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, if you had the top general on the face of the earth, you'd want him where the fight was, but he's in Jerusalem, see? That doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that, would you? If you want to win the world, you can't stay here in the valley, can you? If you want to win the world, you've got to go out. And notice, I'm just going to read fragments of it. But David remained in Jerusalem. 11, verse 1. What's he doing there, that clown? Well, one evening, verse 2, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace and from the wolf he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Oh, no, I can't believe that. Remember, this is the day before silicon uh, influence. And shapes that you saw in women in these days were the way God intended them to be shaped. <laughs> come see, come saw. But uh, they weren't uh, artificial shapes. You can bet if the Bible says that was a beautiful woman, she was a beautiful woman. Always gets my heart here because I look out over the crowd and I see some of the beautiful women that we have in the church here. And it scares me sometimes. <laughs> Wow, that I think of that adjective, wow, see. And uh, the woman was very beautiful. Now, what in the world was he doing up there looking over someone else taking a bath? Well, he was bored with life. And I think you'll find that you'll be in less trouble if you're not bored than if you'll keep busy in the name of the Lord. And so something was conceived in his heart, lust. And he commits that sin, which leads to adultery and which leads to other compounding. Now, we're going to see that sin is a stair step. Sin is never still. Sin is never static. It's always progressive. It's always changing, and we'll see that here very definitely, see. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, those three words have changed more lives than probably any other three words on the face of the earth. I am pregnant. I'll swear I had a major in zoology and biology and paleontology and every other thing, but we had four or five kids before we realized what was involved. And uh, maybe, you see, that, that happens, doesn't it? You know, you're not in the control of everything, you see, under all circumstances, not at all, and certainly this was not the case. I am pregnant, can, can change a life. And quite often, to the wonderful goodness, and quite often, uh, to a deterioration of lifestyle. And that ought not to be really, should it be. Well, now the king had something on his heart and mind. Here he is consorting with a woman that doesn't belong to him, and she is pregnant, and you know, after about nine or ten months, it's obvious. And I have a picture of Kitty standing before Buddha in San Francisco, and she's nine and a half months pregnant, ten, eleven months pregnant, 
and she's about the size of old Buddha. And you know, you couldn't keep that a secret from anybody, could you? Like some of the little old church ladies when someone gets married, you know, they just wonder, you know, how many months is it and all this? Goodness me. I hope we're more involved in life than that. Well, some of the little old men are involved in that business too. So, you know, I, as I worry about life and the circumstances which are involved here in our own day, in our own race, he had a problem. He wanted the woman and didn't want to give her up, so he had to get rid of the husband. So look at verse 10. Verse 10. Uriah was a wonderful man of God, and he had a two-edged sword, and he stood there toe-to-toe with the worst enemies on the face of the earth. And he was a hero. Like, we have heroes in the congregation here today. I mean men who laid their life down, who suffered, who were prisoners against our enemy, you know. And I'm just so proud of them, and I, I, I just love them. Warriors, you see, aren't afraid. They may be afraid, but it doesn't show in their performance, does it? Oh, yeah, flesh and blood has to be frightened. But these were fighters. And Uriah was God's holy man. And he called, the king called him home because what he has to do is have him spend some time with his wife so that he's not charged with the new little baby that's born in this veil of tears. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Kind of sad. A little guy needs a papa. A little guy needs its mama. And that's the way it's supposed to be in God's plan. But Uriah was a funny guy. He came to the king and he said, I'm not going to go down there and stay with my wife and eat good food and just lounge around while... God's men are dying in behalf of the cause. You know, what a hero. He had a recreation break and he chose not to take it. He chose not to take it. I, he's a hero. He says, if my men are laying out in the field, then I'll lay at your feet, O king of mine, to serve you and see that your cause is made. Well, now we have a problem here, don't we? First of all, we had... Uh, eyes that see oh be careful little eyes that see remember the little kids singing that and then that leads to adultery and then adultery leads to a bunch of lies and eventually it's going to lead to murder isn't it and if i see sin never holds still does it never stays the same it just grows so it's got to grow the other way smaller or it's got to grow greater it never stays the same you can't just have it i'll just have this little sin and i'll let it just uh, i'll just let it uh, you know kind of ride it, don't, it won't ride. It will get worse. It will get worse. So look at this. This is cool. Why didn't you go home? The king says, get out of my, you know, get down there so that you can cover my lies. See, we didn't tell him that, did he? Now look on the next page in my Bible, number 14. Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Now that's pretty chicken, isn't it? He just didn't have a sword fight over this woman that didn't belong to him. He killed him the coward's way. Put him in a vulnerable position. By the way, you know, great heroes are the ones who go against the walls and they can pour liquid uh, Greek fire on you or boiling oil, or drop stones on your head, or shoot you with a rain cloud of arrows. And that's where the heroes are, hand-to-hand, nose-to-nose, see, with the tough people of life. I'd like to think those are the missionaries, those that are out there, you know, even far removed from the golf course, doing hard things. They're the heroes. 
And Uriah was one of them. So he'll be struck down and he will die. Look at verse 27. That happened. You plan the murder of another one, it's liable to happen. That's why he says, don't even think of murder. Don't even think of lust. Don't even think of a woman because those things lead to action. It never stays the same. And sure enough, Uriah's killed one of God's great men. And after the time of mourning was over, verse 27, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a little boy. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now you think of that. He not only caused death, he not only cheated on a good man and besmirched an honorable woman's reputation, but what? It displeased God. Now that's the heart and soul of sinning, isn't it? It makes God angry. Now if you can afford to make God angry, have your way. Notice in chapter 12 that Nathan, a little country boy preacher, there's five Nathans mentioned in the Bible. He's not particular. He's not that special but he's a fearless man of God. I tell you, I look at the world, folks, and it's sick, sick, sick. And that's the nicest thing I can say about it. And that isn't much to say about the world. Is it? And the world is very cruel to its devotees. Satan requires much of his disciples. Satan requires everything, as God would require everything, but one of them pays off. And the other pays off unto eternal damnation and hell. I know that there are people sitting here who may not believe in hell, but brother, you better look around in the world. If you don't believe in hell, you're not having your eyes open. And the world is not very nice to its citizenry. The world never pays off to those who love the world. It does not. I mean, you may think so. So here's a real hero. Here's the greatest king that Israel has ever faced. He's a warrior. He's a winner. He's a fighter. He's everything that you look up to. He was pleasing to God. And yet, he's capable of making mistakes. And this little country preacher has to tell his country's most powerful man, you've messed up, buddy. Mr. King... You've done the wrong thing. Now, there's a lot of folks who wouldn't have the courage to do it. There are many pulpits in the land today who will not say anything that they figure would be unpleasant for people to hear. What we need to say on occasion, and you need to tell me, man, you're ugly. And don't you go around like a little bandy rooster because you're not pretty, big boy. And play it straight with me. And I need that, and you need that too. And what you're doing isn't pretty. And now and then we need to just be powerful preachers, and the Word of God commands us what to say. It isn't just what we find pleasing or comfortable, but we want us a preacher that will make us a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. Now, it isn't going to work if he's a phony guy. Well, if he talks about working for the kingdom of God and if he talks about tithing, you better expect him to do it. You ought to throw any man off this stage who, who isn't doing any of those things. You really ought to just throw him out of here. We don't need anybody like that. Don't rush. Don't rush. Stay back. 
And notice what he says. And he tells the funniest little story. I know we've got sheep people here and cattle people here. But, you know, iwi is a funny word, isn't it? And it's a female sheep. Now, now probably uh, Doug doesn't pronounce it that way, but uh, we'll say iwis because I think that's the way it ought to be pronounced. The Lord said Nathan to David, and he said this, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. He had everything. But the poor man had nothing except one little iwi lamb he had bought. Well, I know it's you. That seems flat, doesn't it? One little ewe lamb he had bought, and he raised it, and he grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And I just think of that poor little guy. And you know, in this day and age, that was your meat, that was the wool, that was milk, that was your life, that may be his children's future health in the next few years. Maybe that was the start of a little flock, see? And he loved that little sheep. And that seems hard. Could anyone love just an animal? Yes, you could. At the dog show, we saw people who obviously loved dogs. I, we saw the most gorgeous dogs. Why, their hair was combed better than mine. Sort of their fingernails were shinier. And uh, my, they inspected those dogs more than I would ever inspect another human being. Well, they must have been something wonderful to adore. And some of those ladies had on long silk gowns as they chased those dogs around the arena. It was something special. But this man's life and his sustenance depend on this little sheep. And the rich man said, well, I don't want to give him of mine. Let's just take his because I have company coming and I want the fatted sheep for my food. And he took it away from that little guy. Now, this just ticks me off. Something fierce. That isn't right. But you see, he took away the innocence of another man's life, his wife. He, he just stole it, didn't he? Just like this man did. And look at old David. See, maybe this is why God likes David. Chapter 12, 2 Samuel, verse 5. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Well, I wonder. I wonder if in being indignant, something didn't come to him. If this man in this story, a parable, a simple story with a spiritual truth, that's all a parable is, it's just a simple story with a simple, with a truth, the spiritual behind it. It's more than dealing with little ewees. We don't have trouble with ewees too much, do we? But I'll tell you, we do have trouble with problems of transferring sin in our lives. See? Saying who's to blame, of who needs to be put down. See, And surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. And maybe that was the beginning of knowledge. And so after that, you see, after lying, after adultery, after murder, and then, you see, life gets more confusing and you have to tell more lies and you have to set up more covers over. And so sometimes sin gets to be a real pain. It really can be a drag. And, you know, if you think an affair is just all fun, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And God decreed that there was one way that we ought to live together in honor preferring one another. 
in honor, preferring one another. He said, therefore, a curse will follow after, verse 10, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own, see. And you know, I, th I think that's frightening. For it says that it gave the people outside the kingdom of God contempt for God's people. Oh, is the way, this is the way those godly people treat one another? Huh. Is this the way the church cheats on one another? Hey, hey, in the world today, you can cheat on anybody. It isn't even a disgraceful thing. It isn't. It's disgraceful in the house of God. But see, it's not in the world. It is not in this church, you see, that you can do those things with impunity. Something must follow after. And that is God's divine judgment. And verse 13, it hits him, bang, you know. This guy, maybe you'd have to take a hammer to hit him between the eyes and maybe he would wake up. Isn't that most men are kind of like that, aren't they? Is that right, ladies? I mean, it takes a fairly blunt instrument between the eyes to shape your husband up from time to time, doesn't it? But it does happen, and repentance genuine does come. Look, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Ah, confession is made into salvation, isn't it? We see that in the New Testament. Confession is made into salvation. Confess his name. Confess your sins. See? Confess your faults one to another. It's, it's a biblical thing. Share that responsibility. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. You deserve to die, you rascal, you, but you're not going to die. I deserve to die, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to look toward as long as I stay with Jesus, as long as I seek his will in my life, as long as I'm part of his body, as long as I love the Lord and his commandments, I don't need to worry about eternal damnation. I don't need to worry about hell. Hell's not a big problem to me. It's the hell that I find on earth that worries me more than eternal hell. Eternal hell's real for those. The light at the end of the tunnel is there, but it may or may not be the bonfires of hell or it could be the glowing gates of heaven. I tell you, there's a choice that needs to be made in this life, and having made it, you can relax. You can relax. And you can be at peace with the Almighty God when you're born again, when you love the Lord, when you're seeking His will in your life, then forgiveness comes after repentance, see? But because by doing this thing you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son that you will bear will die. Now, I just can't believe that. That's just plum pagan. What kind of God do you have? Bully God. Well, now, who, who broke the law anyway? Who cheated on another man? Who killed contemptibly in a coward's way another man? Who asked for problems? The man who committed the sin. And we have it, don't we? In Romans, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. One thing you can count on today, folks, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die unless you have Jesus Christ. It's just true as anything on the face of the earth. Well, I think sometimes the church is held in contempt because sometimes those things happen. Now, not one hundredth as often as it happens in the world. 
in the world it's so commonplace that people cheat on each other but it is not commonplace in the house of God I'm thankful for that and so in seven days the little boy dies the little baby dies but you know don't weep for the little boy wonder what happens to the little boy we don't believe that so much baloney that you hear about the soul that sinneth it shall die did the little baby commit a sin he did not therefore he does not die that little baby I just love I'm at an age where I think about going home to be with the Lord Jesus and I pray that my heart and my soul is as pure as the tiniest little baby we had a little baby here one year old last night is that about right was that when the birthday was bless her heart and would I love to have her soul pure innocent sweet right with God she hadn't made a single mistake in her life yet and won't till she's accountable to God Almighty that's the way it ought to be I, I'm so thankful that we I think it's pagan to believe anything else it belongs to God the life of a tiny child thank God for that that someone doesn't have to come sprinkle her or come baptize her or do something else because she's not ready she hadn't done anything worthy of being cleansed yet sure her soul will soar to heaven and so did the little boy seven years old i bet he was a beautiful little boy at that don't you and that's a sadness isn't it and then in conclusion here in this chapter when the little boy dies he is abjectly crushed because now he sees that there's a problem with sin there are results there are results and it leads to the death of the tiny boy as well as the death of his daddy and many other things as well as all the lies and all that and so he prays oh spare the baby spare the baby but when it does not he washes his face and shaves and he goes out before the people to worship publicly with them and he said this in verse 22 of 2 Samuel 12 the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Ah, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And he realized some things done cannot be undone. And you can try to restore sins and the damage done, and you can repent of sins, but always beware there will be problems inevitably with sin the best thing to do is to not get involved with sin to do the right thing when it is time to be done and then listen to the conclusion in verse 24 then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and lay with her she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon well you see it's not all bad Solomon the wisest man who ever lived Solomon who continued the reign of God and was eventually you see with repentance there can be rectification of sin though not total restitution will never be so but God didn't kill one of his great men God didn't just kill every sinner no no he wants you to live let me come up with three conclusions because the subject of this sermon's title was this that is there a way to learn from our mistakes? Let's see if there are. I think that there are. Survival in this veil of tears is pretty tough, isn't it? You work, you labor, you try, you make mistakes, and I think life is pretty much a trial and error, don't you think? 
and you know that you're going to make mistakes, but God has provided a way out of your error. And everyone here ought to be comforted. I never murdered. I never did what this man, I never lied like this man did, and yet he's one of God's great people. And there's a wonderful grace here. Now, that's not a cheap grace, because you see, there was a price for the sin. There is no cheap grace. Not when you talk about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's nothing cheap about grace. And I've heard people so kind of, well, well, you know, God will take care of the hindmost. But there may be some uncleaned up messes that need to be cleaned up, you see. I think it's easier, realizing there is a battleground, to stay with the folks of God, to stay with the people, to stay with the church. I really believe that with all of my heart. I think you'll get in less trouble in the kingdom of God than you will in the world. It's just too easy uh, to do that. Romans 7, 18 says, For I have a desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Are you like that sometimes? Schizophrenic, split-minded. Schizoschism, split. Phrenia, brain, head, split-headed. <laughs> split-minded is what it means, a frontal lobe. Split-minded, split-headed. Well, there's nothing wrong with split-headed. There's a lot of split-headed people going two ways at once. That makes a split between the two, doesn't it? Two ways once. Well, stay with the bunch. In Romans 12, 10, Paul said, Now, in honor, you prefer one another. In honor. Now, you see that word in honor? It was modified. You walk with integrity with your brother and sister. You walk in honor with those who love the Lord. And I think you're safer there. And I believe the environment of the soul is better with the people of God than anywhere else on the face of the earth. If not, how fully it is. See? Numbers 32, 23, I think one of the easiest ways to break a habit and to break the power of sin over you is to realize how intensely dangerous and ugly sin really is. The world makes sin kind of pretty, doesn't it? You know, when they're, when they're selling those Scotch whiskey ads, you know, that smoky whiskey, you know, that's good for your teeth, um, it will kill a lot of germs. It'll kill off something else in your life, too. But it's beautiful people, isn't it? It's beautiful people that drink those things in the ads. You know? Distinguished men with lovely suits, you know, and a little savoir faire, you know. It, it's never this gross-out bum drooling on himself, is it? Oh, no, that may be the result of that, but what is it? It's this very suave and sophisticated guy, you know, who can have a little bit effeminate almost, you know, the way he turns in his feet and all. And uh, that's what sin is about, see, the effete, the intellectual, the cool, the rich, the well-to-do, you know, the one with manners, those wild and crazy kind of guys. You know what I mean? That's what sin is broadcast as, see, and the eyes, that appeals to kids. See? But there's a terrible price to sin. What is it? Remember, a baby died, an innocent little boy. Who could have thought, what would he have looked like? Would he have been strong and tall like his warrior daddy? Would he have been great in the household of God? But who's to know? Sin kills him all. Sin takes the little boy away. And that, oh, I, I wouldn't want to lose a little boy. And I've deserved the same thing. 
Well, I wouldn't want to lose a little boy. I only had one ugly little boy. I couldn't give him up to save my life. And you know, I've had women say, you know, well, bully God, would he take away that innocent child? Duh cow. 42 million people perished because of an idiot named Heinrich Schickelgruber. Six million Jews perished. Did they deserve it? No, they didn't deserve it. They were innocent. Oh, beware that sin has a terrible price, and you'll help break some habits when you realize what sin leads to. Now, Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. If I'm going to break a habit, which is learning from my mistakes, Hebrews 6, 10 through 18, I'm just going to have time for 10 and 11. Listen to what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the devil's schemes. For we, see, we don't fight against flesh and blood. But see, vain imagination, intellectual arguments, theological stuff, that's, that's what we wrestle with. Ideas. I'm not afraid of an eight-foot giant from Gath because one pebble took care of him. You see, with God, a small stone is enough to defeat that kind of thing. See, it's the ideas of the world, humanism, socialism, communism, see, atheism, uh, all those things of modern life. The occult world just attracts kids right and left, doesn't it? It's, a, it's an imagination thing, and it gets hold of their imaginations. You know? Well... Put on that full armor of God and finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now you can read through that 10 through 18, but he talks about prayer. He talks three times about the word of God and the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's an offensive weapon, isn't it? He said, put on the whole armor of God. See, I think with God's people today, they'd have to add some armor across the rear end because a lot of the time the church is retreating. They're going the other way and their big fat derriere is being exposed to a spear thrust. But in those days, you didn't run. You didn't run. The church chooses to run way too many times. I'm not, I'm not discontent sometimes with that. I hope that you are too. And uh, we need to put on the whole armor of God. Keep busy. Because remember, that sin just gets worse with time unless it's eradicated, unless you throw it out. You've not resisted unto blood, he said, in fighting against sin. Not a one of us has paid the price. By the way, I, I just talked about it. 27 Chinese in a small house church in northern China in a town where they melted steel and made uh, heavy machinery. Because they were caught in church and had Bibles, 27 of them were staked out in an arena and the hot slag from the steel mill was poured over their bodies. Steel cools off at 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. In the Sudan, over 120 people have been crucified who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this day and age, they had a crisis in their belief, didn't they? And you and I haven't been called to do that. It is good then to realize what sin can do. It can take our lives away. And then lastly, listen to this. Bring every thought into captivity. If I'm going to break bad habits, if I'm going to clean up my act, 
I need to watch my mind. Have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. I've got to know about Jesus, don't I? If I'm going to win the battle, if I'm going to win that fight. Listen to what it says. Job 31, verse 1. If I'm to bring every thought into captivity, I got to get a control of my mind. And you've got to get control of yours. Job 31, 1 says, I made a covenant with mine eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Jesus said that. You know, if you're going to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. That means you better control that mind. I was sitting there, I bought $262 worth of fun stuff for diabetics. And I just hate that. And I was so bored and I was draped over the deal there at, at Albertsons. And I was watching people go by. It's amazing the shapes and sizes and styles of people. Here's people that look like they're on their last leg. Here's people who are 24 years old and they look like they got less time than the older folks do. And then here a little number comes skirting by there and, and I did a little double take like that and I said, wow, what was that? <laughs> and you know, you'd think at my age I wouldn't be distracted, but don't you believe that? I, I wish sin would just go away. Someone said, well, you old folks, you don't have problems with sin like us young people. Oh, yeah? We've got less time to sin in than you do, kid. We've got to make the most of this while we can. See? I didn't think it unseemly that I stood there on the top of the uh, shelf rack to see where she was going. Uh, you know, I was trying to act like I was checking the lights or something. But, you know, it's so easy. Did Jesus ever have such problems? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sure Jesus saw a well-turned ankle down at the well. I have no doubt. You know why? Because in every way, tempted as we are. But what did Jesus do? Jesus never, ever sinned. Never, ever sinned. And he just turned his head away. What would Jesus do? That's a very important thing. You know what Jesus would do? Dissociate himself with that. Not dwell on that. Turn away from that. And it's hard to do in this society because you can see every act performed between animals and men on public TV any time you wish to see it during the day. You can just feel your heart in my small, small, you can see why children today are under a tremendous barrage of temptations and wickedness. Well, keep busy. Keep your eyes single. Look what he says in Matthew 22. 622 the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are good your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are bad your whole body will be full of darkness see if the eye is good you'll see things i knew a guy by the name of dirty mouth smith in shell oil brilliant doctor brilliant i mean he said words i never understood and uh, we got out of the field up there in black hills gorgeous early morning, 7 o'clock, a big tom turkey strutted out there across the meadow, and the early morning sunlight just bathed in there and turned that iridescent peacock color of that great bronze turkey. And he said, hey, let's all say nasty words. This is a doctor in geology because there was an echo, and he says, well, get to hear him twice. 
And I thought, so much for education as a way to solve the problems of the world. That's all it had inspired him to do. And he had a mouth. He used a dirty word as a noun, a preposition, and a positive uh, predicate adjective, and as an adverb. Think about that. He used a filthy word as an adverb. There's no hope in the world. Now, that's pretty heavy. But you think about that when you go home. Whew, that is stupid. That's evil. And that's wickedness. See? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Ooh, ooh, that's a little bit too far. But now, wait a minute. Jesus is talking here, see. Uh, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. In the long thing, a small eye for an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, which would you take? I think it would be a better deal to go through sight without an eye, go through life without the eyesight, wouldn't you? Well, remove your hands. If it's money that's bugging you folks this morning, you get rid of that job that got you around money. You don't belong there. Don't tempt yourself daily. Watch what you see. Don't be around money. If, that's, if it's drinking, you stay away from the bars. That's not a good place to meet a future husband or a future wife in the first place. You stay away from there if that's a problem. If it's drugs, you, you don't even experiment with it. Because most people cannot handle drugs of any kind, especially the very dangerous ones. And don't even experiment with it. See, don't begin. The best way to break the habit is to not begin it. Is to not begin it. I conclude with this thought. Doing God's will requires a crisis of belief. A wonderful book by Thomas Blackaby. And it said this. Doing God's will requires a crisis of belief. You know, God has the world. He's not working very hard in the world today. The world is working hard to give you sin. They're making sin delightful. They're making sin false. Satan never rewards well those who follow after him. It is only Christ who rewards people with eternal life when they follow after him. Satan requires to you live a pig's life, a disgusting life, and then gives you hell at the end of it. But Jesus Christ, I see that beautiful face, those scar hands reaching out and say, Come on home, brother. Yes, you lied. Yes, you committed adultery. Yes, you murdered. But hey, you belong to me now. I am your source of life. I am the living waters. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Come on home. Satan doesn't work in the world very much. He likes to work with those who have everything to lose and nothing to win. As we sing that hymn of invitation, would you come?